Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. things that we're trying to hold on to so tightly and you're saying no I've got so much better just trust me Father help us to live with open hands for whatever you're calling us to whatever you're calling us from that we would live our lives laid down at your feet trusting that even if you didn't have anything better for us, we know that you are the only one better for us. You're all we need, Jesus. So we just... We declare um, a rise in faith in this place. that we would believe what we're singing, that we would believe what your word says about who you are, that our faith would be strong even when we don't see it, that we know that you are always faithful and you are always good. So Jesus, we trust you. We put our faith in you. We lay our lives at your feet. You're worthy of everything we have. One of the things that uh, <clears throat> we prioritize here at Washington and, and want to develop more of a culture of and we're working towards is prayer and the value of prayer and the depth of prayer and what prayer has to offer, that connection that we have with the Father that we've been given through Christ um, and so we're, we're working on this prayer team, and we have them available, and hopefully you continue to take advantage of that. But one of the things, I met with the prayer team last week, and I shared with them, because uh, I hear stories from them, these unbelievable stories of how God is working. And I just thought to myself, I get to hear these stories. How do we help our people hear these stories, you know, without breaking confidence and, and what's being prayed for, and, and just to, to bring glory to the Lord? Um, and we're still trying to figure that out. We don't have an answer for it. But, uh, but uh, somebody came to me this morning, uh, one of the people on our prayer team, and somebody who's been prayed for, and they just said, I, I just want to share what the Lord has done. So uh, I'm going to invite Peggy and Brian to come up, and they're just going to share. Peggy's going to share about her kind of testimony and experience, and Brian has been praying for her or got to pray for her. So they're going to share together. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, uh, Peggy came forward with a uh, prayer request, and it was very humble and, and honest, and I had the privilege of, of praying with her. And today, she came forward, and just uh, we got to sing a, or pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Um, and, and I think there's some power in testimony. And I asked Peggy if she'd be willing to share her testimony with whatever level of detail she would 
be comfortable with? And she said yes. And then there's, yeah. Okay. So actually, I didn't really want to come to him. Um, I wanted to go to someone else that I felt more comfortable with, but he was occupied. So I kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and he continued to be occupied. And I thought, well, gosh, time is going to run out, and I'm not going to get a chance to be prayed for. So he went to him. Thank you. Because he was my last hope. So I know, but I'm being truthful now. So, um, but I'm so glad I did because he was so wonderful. So my testimony is that, I mean, I have a terrible, well, I had a terrible inside voice. Of, I mean, my habit was swearing. I just had a terrible habit of saying terrible words, terrible four-letter words. Um, I mean, I didn't say them out loud because I wanted to be very acceptable to everyone. And I never said them in front of my children because it wasn't ex- acceptable to be a good mother and say any four-letter words in front of my children. I didn't even say poop in front of my children. My children thought of that word. They got it from other children. I would never say that. I said BM because that was more appropriate. So I never said poop until they were in their teens and they were saying it all along. So that's how good of a mother I tried to be. But in my mind, I said all the four-letter words, all of them. Any of them that you could ever think of, I said with regularity, and I mean regularity. They were ugly, and I said them without regret. I just said them just with such regularity, and God was just, he was laying it on my heart that this is so wrong. How can you be one way in front of all of these people and be so ugly inside? And so I've been trying for a long time on my own to stop. And I've had no success. And then I would just give up and say, it's okay. I'm being good on the outside. It's just swearing. I mean, I'm being a good person. It's just swearing, but just swearing is wrong, even if you're doing it inside, that's ugly. And I don't think that pleases God very much. So I finally came and, 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 and wanted to be prayed over that because I couldn't do it on my own. And he helped me. And I don't remember all the words he said, but I just remember him talking about how the, that I was better than to have this filth. And that I was just a better person than that. And I remember him talking about this, getting rid of this filth, and I never thought of it that way. And 
And just ever since then, I've been really clean-mouthed or clean-minded. Um, I probably swore mentally in my mind, I can count maybe on one hand, and then I was just so severely sorry for it. I mean, really, really, really sorry. And I apologize to God. And, and I know how much, how much better I am because today before I, I, I felt I was late because I was ushering and I was getting into the refrigerator and I had poured a little coffee stuff in my coffee and as I was putting it back in the refrigerator and closing the door, it fell and spilled all over my refrigerator. And it was like the messy kind. It's not just regular milk. And I said, oh, darn. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> I'm so happy that's my testimony. And that's how good it feels after two weeks. So praise God. Thank you real quick. Part of what we're experiencing is, is called deliverance. And, and the thing that stood out to me the most in your testimony was just how you feel this peace now. You feel freed. Um, and I just pray that over everyone here, that deliverance is here. Um, freedom is here. Chains can be broken uh, because of the blood of Christ. Um, and Peggy, something that as I was praying for you as we were finishing worship that came forth was in, in 1 Corinthians we're told that that we've been given the mind of Christ. And I just want to declare that over your life um, and continue a renewal of your mind. Okay. Yeah, that's what you did. Thank you, Peggy. Thank you for your courage to, to share what, what God is doing. Um, I mean, this is what Jesus said he came for, to, to set the captives free, um, to bind the brokenhearted, to heal people. And that's, that's what churches should be about. Amen? All right. <clears throat> so we're still in, in Romans chapter 12. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're going through Romans chapter 12, a series about community and coming together. Uh, as part of our tradition, we're going to read Romans 12 up to the verse that I'm going to just teach out of this morning, which is 16. So I invite you to stand up and join me as we speak together from God's word and say it out loud. Let's, uh, let's read this together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. It is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Amen. Please be seated. So verse 16 starts with this phrase or this verse, live in harmony with one another. I'm going to break it into section and talk about kind of each section as, as we go. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Paul starts by using this, this Greek word that deals with the mind and thinking. So for him, this is a thought process. And it begins with this, this word um, that he uses to, to think about thinking, and it ends with that word, think about thinking as well. And he kind of ties this verse together in this beautiful bow. And I kind of want to pick this apart. But I think a better way to translate it, instead of live in harmony with one another, is be of the same mind. That's literally what the, what the translation is saying. So have a similar mind. Be of the same mind. And this is not a new concept. This is something that was at the heart of Jesus. We look at, at um, John 17, 21. And the prayer that Jesus prays over his disciples and over us, he says, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So unity is at the core heart of, the, of God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so everything that flows and moves in that direction. So when Jesus was here, he talked about unity and coming together, even though he faced division. It's been in the Father's heart to see things come together. If you want to know what God wants, look at Ephesians chapter 1, 9 and 10. He says he wants to bring all things together and unify all things. That's at the very core and the heart of God. Paul talks about this in other places. Philippians 2, 2. He says, then make my joy complete. How do we make Paul's joy complete and actually the Lord's joy complete? By being like-minded. That same word, that same phrase. Having a similar mind. Having the same love, being one spirit and of one mind. Later in Ephesians 4.13, he says this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And what he's talking about there, Paul's talking about, is actually the gifts that Jesus has given the church. And that those gifts exist so that those things can take place. And that's, that's at the heart of God. And, and so... Paul is not talking, talking about unity here, not uniformity. Uniformity is we're all the same. 
We all think the same. We all act the same. We, we all dress the same. And we all believe the same things. And that's not what Paul's asking for. He's asking for unity, not uniformity. Uniformity is we're all hands in the body. We're all feet in the body. So the body is just a bunch of feet. And so we know it doesn't work that way. The body has a much, all these different kind of parts to it, and those parts have to come together and function in a unified manner. Can you imagine if your hand was wanting to do something like over here and your foot was wanting to do something over here, how hard and chaotic it would be to live life? And so that's the image that he's trying to portray here, and that's challenging for us, many of us. Because time after time, I face kind of mentalities that, that people will come and just say, well, tell me what to think. Tell me how to believe. Tell me what is the right way of, of faith. And the invitation there is, what is the Lord saying to you? Now, there's, a, there's an element of, of essentials that we have to follow that make us Christians and make us believers in Christ. And so those have to be upheld. And those should bring us together. There's a great quote. You've probably heard it, but I want to share it with you anyway. C.S. Lewis is quoted... Um, attributed to it, but some people attribute it to Augustine and, and, and others, but it says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. But essentially what they were saying, whether it was Lewis or Augustine, is the, the things that we believe that make us Christians should unite us and bring us together. And I don't care what stream or river you're flowing in as far as, far as your faith goes, but those things, those core aspects, should all flow into one place. And the things that are outside of those things, which oftentimes the church makes much bigger than they need to be made, those things, he says, to have liberty in. Liberty is about freedom. We have a country that talks often about liberty. But liberty is literally having freedom from oppression, freedom from, from those who are trying to force things onto you. That's what the early fathers of this country use that word intentionally around that, and I think that's the same word that's used here. So there's different, different perspectives we might have outside of the essentials, and with that, we have some liberty to talk about those things. But those things shouldn't divide us. We should be able to talk about them with, with great civility amongst one another, and actually that's something the Protestant church is terrible at. Okay? If you ever sit down with, with Jews, Jews love to wrestle through the text. They believe it's worship. And Jews will, will come together and they'll argue, 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 argue about different verses and different mindsets. And then they'll be like, oh, it's lunch. Let's all go to lunch. And they'll be like, sweet, let's go to lunch. And then they go to lunch and they have a great lunch together. Protestants get together and argue, argue, argue. And then they point fingers and they say, forget it. And then they walk out each different doors of the, of the buildings that they come in. And that seems to be the normal way of functioning. And it's sad. And then finally he says, but in all things charity. And for Lewis, charity is love. It's one of the primary words of love. And he says, so no matter what goes on, no matter what you think, have love for people. Even if you don't fully agree with them. Even if you, you can't see eye to eye on everything, that's not the point. The point is that you would come together and the things that are the core essentials of your faith would bring you together and unite you. And I think that's what Paul's heart desire is as well. I don't, I'm not normally somebody who pays close attention to church culture, but there's some really fascinating things going on in church culture as a whole right now. Um, and, and, uh, and I'll just share you one story of many that I've heard that I think is really exciting. Um, somebody that I've known a long time, I had the privilege of meeting this guy when I was uh, doing youth ministry in college. Um, I, was on, I was doing an internship at a church uh, near where I grew up, <clears throat> a smaller church. We took, 
took the, this group of kids to camp, and the camp speaker that year I got to hang out with all week, which was really fun. His name was Francis Chan. And before anybody knew Francis Chan, um, I got to meet him, and he's written books. He's done a, a marvelous work, and he's made some transitions in his life that have been really fascinating to watch. One of those transitions is he's become more open to dialoguing with people that don't see exactly eye-to-eye with him outside of the essentials, if that makes sense. So they share the essentials, but outside the essentials, he went to, his training was very, I would say, focused. That's a nice way of saying it. Um, But essentially a part of his training was, you believe this and this is correct, and anybody outside of this focused perspective, you shouldn't associate with. But Francis had such a heart for unity and has such a heart for unity that he began to ask questions like, okay, Lord, what about these people who are doing this work for you? And I was told that they're not correct in their theology. And so he would actually like go and meet them. And some of it was kind of Nicodemus trips, like under the, nobody knew about it, but he'd fly out and he'd, he'd spend a weekend with, with other church leaders who viewed things different than he did outside of the essentials. And it began to change his heart. And God began to use him in a powerful way to connect with others until finally he realized, man, these guys are, are saying some pretty amazing things and God is moving in, in amazing ways and actually publicly stood up and said, I'm with them. I didn't know what to do with them before, but now I love them as my brothers and I embrace them for who they are. That's radical in this day and age. Absolutely radical. Even churches working together is a foreign thing and, and that's always been at the heart of, the, of this church ever since I've been here. Because Pastor Don, unity is, is a core of value for him. And that's why we partner with other churches as much as we can. That's a normal thing for us. That's not a normal thing for other churches. Right? But that's, that's what Paul's getting at here. He's like, be like-minded. Come together. And then he, he goes on to talk about, there seems to be a direct correlation between our ability to be unified or of like-minded and the pride in our lives. Because this is the next thing he says. He says, do not be proud. So he talks about being like-minded, and then he says, probably because like-mindedness is not happening, he goes into pride, and he, he addresses that piece. He says, don't be proud. It's the pride that's keeping us from being able to be like-minded, he says. Because one of the greatest barriers to a renewed mind, which he talks about earlier, and we read earlier in 12, is, is pride. And pride begins often in the head, and it works its way into the heart. And once it works its way into the heart, it's really hard to deal with. Because it grounds itself and it solidifies itself there. But here's one thing we need to be aware of. There are very few things that God says that he opposes in God's word. Pride is one of the main things. So literally, if pride is something you're wrestling with or dealing with or you want to hold up, then you have to come to a realization that God is opposing that. Okay? That's what 1 Peter 5, 5 says. He says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility, which is the antithesis of pride, toward one another, because, and he's quoting from Proverbs 3 here, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So if we come from a place in our lives, especially in our theology, where we think we have all the right answers down, and literally, I went to a college that told me I had all the right answers. I went to apply to seminaries, and I applied to a range of seminaries, because I knew that what I was getting educational-wise from college wasn't the whole story, wasn't the bigger picture. And I'd, I'd start to ask questions, and I'd say, well, what about this? And what about that? 
And at the time, uh, my wife and I were going to different Christian schools, and she was learning about things, and I was learning about things because we she was a religious studies major, and I was a religious studies major, and so we were on the similar tracks. We were taking you know, Old Testament at the same time, New Testament at the same time. But we would have these conversations at night. Every night we'd call each other. This is before cell phones. Pick up, dial, have a cord, you know, that type of thing. And, um, and we'd have these awesome conversations as we all have always had in our, in our life. That's one of the things I, I love so much about my wife. And she would tell me things and I'd say, well, wait a minute. How come you're learning about those things? And if I learned about some of those things, I was taught that those, I learned about those things so that they could tell me that those things were wrong and they weren't right. I was like, that doesn't sound right. And started, I, again, I started to raise my hand in, in class. I said, well, what about this? What about, here's a, is, what, what if we looked at it from this perspective? It got to a point, my junior and senior year, and I'm not saying that it didn't come from a prideful place, okay? I'm admitting that. I struggled with pride, still do. But I had a professor who told me once, he said, well, I stopped calling on you in class because I didn't want to deal with your questions. I was like, whoa, that's not right. And so I started to apply to seminaries because I, I knew I was told actually in college I didn't need to go to seminary. I'd been given everything I needed. I just needed to go do ministry. And so I was like, eh, I think I need more. And so I started looking at seminaries, and not all those seminaries lined up with, with the theological beliefs of the college. And where I was, I had to take, you know, these forms for my professors to fill out and give it to them, you know, write letters of recommendation, all these things. And I professors refused to write letters of recommendation for me because of the seminary that I was applying to. I said, no, I, I refuse. I won't let you go to that seminary. You shouldn't go there. The only ones you should go to are these two. And I was like, that's quite narrow. That's exactly what Paul's talking against. And so that's, that's a form of pride. That's a form of theological pride. And because it's masked with, with God language, we think it's okay, but it's not okay. It's divisive and it's ugly. And God opposes it in that way. So we need to be mindful of that. And so he goes on to say, uh, but, we, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And that but is kind of this transitional phrase in that verse where Paul has kind of made this statement, hey, you need to be like-minded with one another. And then he says, and don't be prideful because that's what keeps you from being like-minded. And then what he does now is he begins to address the pride and he basically says, here's how you deal with the pride. And this is very paul Okay, be willing to associate with people of low position. So there's a contrast between thinking highly of yourself and thinking you have all the right answers and actually intentionally associating with people that you think may not know as much as you do. And Paul's saying, that's the key. You want to deal with your pride, that's the key to dealing with it. And he uses this Greek word, I'll show you what it looks like. But it, and it's a long one, it's a good one. But it means to take off together. Or to yield or submit. So literally he's saying, of people that you think are lower than yourself or don't know as much as you might know or haven't had the training that you have, you should take off with them and spend some time with them because you have, they have something to teach you. That's another thing that was pushed into me by a mentor of mine. He literally would say to me, everyone has something to teach you if you come with a humble, teachable spirit. And that's been part of my life. I've tried to, to embrace that. But, but it's a bigger picture. In the church of Rome, you have to realize there were Jews and there were Gentiles. 
And in that culture in Rome, I, I was just telling Tim Clayton, I was watching this documentary on Rome um, last night, the last two nights, and it was like flooring me. And literally, this is the, the, the state of Rome right when Paul is min- doing ministry, okay? And I'm not sure exactly what the dates are, and he may not have gotten to Rome, but I, I would imagine Rome hadn't changed within the 10-year period as much as it was that they were talking about. But it was literally the goal is to raise yourself up in that city. Do whatever you had. Step on people, backstab people, and, and just the transition of power. That was what the documentary was about from Tiberius uh, into the next emperor and how they would keep, you know, files on, on the, all the senators so they could, they could um, blackmail them and, and on and on. And so this is the culture to which Paul is writing. And he's saying, be like-minded. Well, we have to understand, in the society of Rome, if you had, you, you were a have. And you, if you were a have-not, you were a have-not. And you had those who owned things, and you had those who were servants. And all those people are coming together and worshiping Jesus because what unified them was their relationship with Christ. They'd been transformed. They'd been introduced to the, to the Savior of the world. And the Spirit of God and the very presence of God was in them. And that's what unified them. And they would come together, and all of a sudden, outside the doors of, of worship or the house churches they, they met in, they were people who would never come in contact with each other, literally lived on different aspects or areas of the city. But on the, on the Lord's Day, they would come together, and they would worship, and it didn't matter if they were poor or rich, if they had titles or they didn't have titles, if they were slaves to others. Can you imagine that? A servant coming with their master but both, once stepping through that door, they were seen as equal. That's radical theology. And that's essentially what Paul is saying. He's talking to this group of people who are having to deal with that truth and having to reconcile that outside there, the philosophy of life is very different. But inside here, because of who Jesus is and because of the love of God, everything gets thrown out the window. And we're all unified. We're all seen as one. That is just unbelievable to think about. See, the redeemed community should look different than any other place that you are part of or you go, even today in the culture. It should be the same today. We have people from all walks of life, all different places, coming together to worship the Lord. And I know enough of you to know your stories to know that that's true. We're not all the same. This is not a place of uniformity. It is a place of unity. So regardless of our job titles or monetary wealth, wherever we are, we are one in Christ. And Paul's saying, he's, he's saying, allow yourself to be taken away, yielded or submitted to those who you feel might be beneath you in some way. And in doing so, you're being obedient to God and faithful to the unity of the body of Christ. I can tell you in all my education, my years of education, undergrad, seminary, postgraduate work, Some of the deepest theological truths that I've learned are from the people who had no education at all. And we're simply trying to walk with Jesus. And I'd be in Bible studies with, I'd be leading Bible studies with those people, and all of a sudden they'd open their mouth and I'd stop and I'd think, well, I don't have anything on my paper that's more profound than what you just said. And it would challenge me, and it would humble me. But only because I was taught and, and pushed into to be open, to listen, to remain teachable. Because everything, everyone has something to teach you. And we all have the Spirit of God within us. And God has not blessed any single one of us with everything. 
all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the gifts for a reason. So we'd have to rely on each other and come together and work off each other to deepen and to grow. I love this verse from Matthew eleven twenty five. Last night I was working on the message and I felt like I, I was literally driving home and I felt like the Spirit of God gave me this verse to share. It says this, at, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father. And he's talking about the kingdom of God at this point. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. You want to learn about the wise things of the Lord. You have to come alongside people who function and have the innocence of that childlike faith, regardless of their status, regardless of their education. God is speaking to them. And this is a direct way to come at the pride in our lives. It's to literally come alongside or go away with people and listen to what they have to say. Hey, how do you see this? How's, what's God teaching you in your life? Because we all have something to learn from one another. See, we should, just, we should be just as home with, with you know, khaki pants and collared shirts on a golf course as we are down at Cherry Street Mission, serving the poor and the needy. Both should make our heart come alive, because both are relevant and a part of life that we live in. But to stand in a place of privilege without the realization of who you are and whom put you there is to neglect the core truth of your reality, which means your pride and your ego will fight to keep you there and surround yourself with more people just like you in an effort to protect the status that you think you've earned, but you haven't. But if you realize that you have been given your place of privilege through grace, the grace of God, then you realize that that place can be taken from you in an instant. And you are to hold it with open hands, the privilege that you've been given. But don't let that privilege get in the way and cause pride in your life, because you'll fail to learn what the Lord has for you. Our goal is to be like Jesus. Romans 12, 16 And this is how he finishes the very end of the verse. He says, do not be conceited. I want to share a little bit of a different translation that I think is is more accurate to what Paul is saying. And I put the Greek up there just to give you an example. But I think literally the verse says, do not become wise in yourself. That's what it translates directly. And, And you think of that, and that's that same word that comes up again about the mind that Paul starts with and he ends with. And he kind of wraps the verse together with that idea of thinking. And that's why our minds are so crucial. And getting our head in the places and not filling our minds with things that are dangerous. Just like Peggy talked about. The mind is a battleground. And if you don't realize that, we need to wake up to that. So those thoughts that can come forward, those negative words that come, and they come in different ways and different forms, that's a way for the enemy to, to come into our lives and to deceive us and to trick us. And oftentimes, just like Peggy, we think, if we keep that to ourselves and we don't let it out, that it's okay. Or as long as it's not, if I don't let it out, it's not affecting me in the way that, that uh, it could be affecting. That's just a lie in itself. All those thoughts need to be handed over to the Lord and surrendered. And oftentimes we need others to come and pray for us in order to work through that. That's what the community is for, coming together in that way. But to not be wise in ourselves, of course, Proverbs 3, 7, I think this is where Paul is pulling it. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. See, God can take your pride and turn it into wisdom if you're willing to humble yourself and come around people around you who you don't think maybe are like you. 
or in the same place you are. God gives us community so that we can grow together. It's the iron sharpening iron. The space is a playing field right here with great potential to deepen us, to transform us, to make us into the men and women of God that God wants us to be. But we have to be willing to submit to it. And we have to be willing to come to a place where we say, Lord, I surrender my mind to you. I surrender my heart and my mind, my whole being. Remember, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Every aspect of who we are, God wants from us to surrender us. And when we come to that place where we begin to measure up, I mean, if you want to, if you want to have something that takes care of your pride, just hold up that verse and hold up your life and see how those things measure up. My guess is there's nobody here who's full, fully fulfilling that in the way that we could or we should, including myself. And that should bring humility into our lives. But humility in a positive sense that encourages us to go on and to deepen in our walk with the Lord. So I want to leave you with three things as I kind of wrap up here. Number one, seek the renewed mind. We have to go after it. We can't think we've arrived. We, we can't think that uh, where we're at is okay. We want to get to a place where our mind is in such a place that it's being transformed by God on a regular basis. Submitted to the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit is the one who's speaking to us. That's what, that's what Jesus does. He literally says, I don't do anything unless the Father told me to do it. I don't say anything unless the Father says to do it. What if we take that on? Lord, you speak to me and I'll say what I need to say to this person, especially in the challenging moments of our daily life. Number two, let your community teach you. Hang out with people that you don't normally hang out with. Learn a new perspective. See new ways of seeing and understanding the Lord. It's, it's, it's fresh air in your life. If all you do is stay in the same circles, you will just think the same thoughts and nothing will change. But if you begin to expand outside that place, and that, this is why Paul says, hey, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Know the needs of your people and try to meet them. Don't you know that you're all together in, in one body? Over and over, Paul is talking about, and that's what this community is about that he's trying to build up in Rome. And that's what this community should be about in Toledo. And that's what we want to see happen. And finally, remain humble. Humility is, <clears throat> through the centuries, humility from, from the people of God. Time and time again, that's what comes up over and over and over. Humility. They would hold that up as, as the criteria to whether or not somebody's life has been truly transformed by their relationship with Jesus. And if they didn't see humility, I'm not talking about false humility, that's a different topic. But true humility was a sign of a transformed life. And a teachable heart is also a sign of a transformed life. So that's what, that's what I want for us. That's my heart for us as people, this community of faith at Washington Church. That we would live out these words of Paul, which are the words of God for us. That we would come alongside one another. That we would be like-minded we would allow the essentials to bring us together and that we wouldn't let the non-essentials tear us apart. We would surrender our pride. We'd realize our pride, but we'd surrender it and we'd be willing to deal with that pride by coming along, not thinking of ourselves as highly as we should or as we do, but we would put ourselves in submission to those around us and say that I have something to learn from you. Would you teach me something new? Would you pray for me? And I don't care if you've had zero training or all the training in the world. We all have something to offer one another. Great depth 
And often the greatest depth is in the most unlikely places. But we have to be willing to put ourselves out there to find it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for your love for the church and your heart for it. You want nothing more than things to be unified, especially your body, Jesus. As you are the head, you want your body to come together. You want each individual place of worship to come together and be unified, but you want the whole to be unified within the city, within the state, within the country, within the world. You have this vision of a unified church, and you know what that unified church can do, the ground that it can break, the kingdom, your kingdom that it can can begin to take back, Lord. That's what you want. That's what your heart desire is. I pray, Lord, that you would put that same desire in our hearts, and that you would awaken that desire even to an extent that we are willing to put ourselves in a place of uncomfortableness. And we would surrender our pride so that we could take on humility and so we could learn from one another. And Lord, as we learn from one another, may we deepen and grow in you. May we see you in new ways. May you transform us. I pray, Lord, if there's people here who are struggling with pride, that they would lay it down even before they leave this place. They would find somebody else here and just confess to them their pride and allow that person to bless them and pray over them. Lord, I pray that we would all be open and available in a humble place that we would receive and be willing to to pour ourselves out into those who are in need, to love and come alongside those people, and that you would be glorified in that process. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.